Hello, and welcome to a show of their own, Sports and Life with Morgan and Laura. I'm Morgan. And I'm Laura. And I bet you could guess what we're going to talk about this week to start, because a lot has happened in the country and obviously in sports. And it was really interesting. I think, of course, everyone knows what happened with Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin. I'm not really good at those cities, but it's obviously led to a lot of protesting and stuff. And we do obviously really have to shout out the NBA because I think that they were the ones that kind of led and kind of, I don't want to say forced the issue, but like they were the leaders, the first ones to do this. And so the Milwaukee Bucks, which obviously Milwaukee is closest to Kenosha, but they're in the bubble right now. So everyone's in Orlando. They are in a playoff series with the Orlando Magic and they just the Orlando Magic were warming up and then they they just didn't show and it was announced, yeah, they're forfeiting, which I thought was actually really powerful because they had no way of knowing that the NBA was going to cancel all the games. And they were ahead in the series, I believe, three games to one. But still, they just gave a game and a playoff game for that. And it's like, if that doesn't show how committed they are to the issue – like, obviously, everything that happened and all the other stuff the teams did was powerful, but there, there's just no, I think you can't replicate the power of being able to sacrifice something personally. Obviously, it's just sports and stuff like that, but they were willing to sacrifice something in their profession to make this point. And so I think that shows the strength that they have around those convictions. And another thing um, is that it was reported that after they forfeit and everything they weren't just like sitting in the locker room doing nothing like they were apparently calling like representatives in Wisconsin and like the attorney general like they were actually like doing even more productively to like be a part of it and like have an impact more than just like not playing and not having the spotlight on them and giving the spotlight to it too they just like almost like I don't want to say above and beyond because it seems like kind of what most of us have been doing as far as like you know signing petitions and calling and all that stuff but above and beyond in the sense of like an athlete perspective I guess it, doing it right then in there like they forfeited it wasn't the game. just all public too it was right. some stuff like just like trying to individually make a difference right and also I think credit should go to the WNBA as well because they've I think been the most consistently outspoken like daily they're wearing different shirts about um different people in the black community who have lost their lives because of police brutality and I don't know if I, I think the Bucks were the first ones to for to forfeit or um, might have been the strike. NBA I be wrong on that and then the WNBA like almost immediately the same thing they might have been first honestly again we don't get enough information and coverage of the WNBA, so I could be wrong on that as well, but I think both leagues do a really good job. And I think the NBA is a part or most owner of the WNBA. That sounds right. Like, they invest a lot of money in it, which, okay, would make sense why the WNBA is so good, because I think it's in the race of who's the best commissioner in professional sports, I guess we want to say the big four. Mm -hmm. Could tell um, Manfred and Batman all battle for like who's actually going to be the worst, and Adam Silver's like, "Well, I'm not them." Yeah, exactly. So yeah, um, but then to go with that, pretty early on, I believe in the MLB, uh, the uh, Brewers canceled their game, which mm-hmm. is good to see. Um, but of course, it wouldn't be 2020 MLB if there wasn't some disaster. And so we had, and I, it started out so good. And I was hearing us talk about it and they're like, it almost doesn't feel like it was our fault because our players did the right thing because the Marlins and the Mets were playing and they came up with this idea because they did this the day before Jackie Robinson day. Mm -hmm. And they, so they were like, we're going to go out on the field, stand there for 42 seconds, which is Jackie Robinson's number, and then put a Black Lives Matter shirt out and then walk off and be done with the game, like no game that evening, which I thought like, that's really cool. Like do something a little different, but it still makes a great statement. Mm -hmm. Like I was so in love with that. And then of course we get leaked video of a press conference where Mets general manager Brody Van Wagenen said that 
um, Rob Manfred told them that they were needed to get back out in an hour. And it was kind of clear that Brody hated that idea. And mm -hmm. there's some speculation that he might have even had that leak himself. Yeah. Because he kind of hated it and wanted to force the issue, which it did force the issue in the Mexican play. But then, of course, Brody has to release the statement saying he was wrong. It wasn't Rob Manfred. It was really his owners, which is like, you know, that's a great press release. And then the owners release a statement like saying they don't stand by what Brody said and that they're sorry to Rob Manfred. But then in the in the press conference, they're in the press release. And it's not just that the owners like released a statement. They had to have one from Fred Wilpon, Wilpon the dad, and then a mm -hmm. statement from Jeff Wilpon the son. Because you know one statement wasn't enough. <laughs> and in the course of that, so Fred Wilpon goes like first spells Brody the correct way mm -hmm. and then spells it incorrectly. And then Jeff just spells it wrong. And it's like, you can't even spell your general manager's name. But to go on that of incorrect spelling and Mets. So yesterday, this being Saturday, uh, J-Lo and A-Rod announced that they were no longer in contention to buying the Mets. In their press release, they spelled Rodriguez with a Q and not a G. So even Mets when you're leaving the Mets, apparently. Um, but also I will say with the MLB, when there was discussions about the Brewers potentially not playing, I was really like, okay, they're going to be the only team that does this because with MLB as a league and ownerships of teams, I just could not, couldn't picture it being a league wide thing, even if it was player driven, which it seems like every team was player driven, which it would have had to be, um, for it to happen. Uh, so it was really surprising to see pretty much every team that was playing in enough time after uh, NBA decided to cancel that all the other teams that ha like it's mostly West Coast teams I will say but they had the benefit of time zones and knowing about the issue in time to forfeit on Wednesday and then or not forfeit uh essentially strike it wasn't a boycott that's another issue I have is a lot of people saying boycott which is the wrong word for what happened it was a labor strike and it's really funny to see how many people find out what a labor strike is and that you too can do it at your job um so then the basically the teams that either didn't play on Wednesday or didn't have essentially enough time between like batting practice to game time to know what was happening to, in order to strike, they didn't play on Thursday. And then the teams that didn't play Wednesday, most of them had doubleheaders on Thursday. And then, so for the Astros and the A's, they were supposed to start on, I guess they would have started Friday, but um, the Astros didn't play on Wednesday or Thursday because of the potential for uh, Hurricane Laura to they didn't know how close it was going to be to their stadium so they had canceled the games on Wednesday and Thursday so they did their strike on Friday which was when MLB celebrated Jackie Robinson Day and they did some did similar to the Mets and the Marlins they it wasn't really known if they were gonna postpone I saw a lot of their beat reporters unsure if it was gonna happen they all came out on the field for 42 seconds of silence and then they also put a Black Lives Matter shirt on the um, home plate. And then in each of the batter's box, a uh, jersey with 42 on it from each team. Uh, so that was their strike, which I believe that now makes every um, team has not played at least one game this week because of the strike. I will say one person I wanted to shout out is like, I think showing a good example for how we all should act was Clayton Kershaw in the Los yes. Angeles Dodgers. Because if you, they, they interviewed him and basically what he said is, we're listening to Mookie Betts, who's obviously their star player, but also African-American. And what he says and what he thinks we should do as far as making the most impact, supporting him, and that kind of stuff. And I think that's a really important point of being an ally is listening and not mm -hmm. saying and so I think that that was a really great message to send and I, I really found that moving yeah and I think especially not that it would have made a difference if it was like a rookie white player but it being Clayton Kershaw a name that I would think 
even people who just casually watch baseball or maybe don't even watch baseball have at least heard his name and know who he is within the league. So I think him saying that also has the impact of what allyship is. And that's something that I think people talk about a lot too, is it's not just, obviously it's like, like privilege doesn't exist in a vacuum. It's not as if the only privilege that there is, is race. It's a big one, but that's not the only one. And in the MLB and in all sports, there is a privilege that you're afforded for being a veteran. Mm -hmm. You can say more, you can do more, you, you have more influence. And so he was using his privilege as a white veteran in this league to influence behavior to support black people. And I think obviously other white players could have done and could have said something, but I mean, there, I think even some, depending on the team and the culture around the team, rookies who are white may have felt scared of like, well, especially, I mean, you look at Colin Kaepernick and what that did to him and like, oh, if I speak out, if I'm too vocal, and that's, that's the reason that they shouldn't, but it can impact decisions. Whereas if a veteran, it's like, hey nobody can take their shot from anything right and so it's like it gives it allows the space for more allyship and I think it should also be noted it started on the four-year anniversary of the first time Colin Kaepernick knelt so which I think is I don't think that was purposeful it happened it just coincidence happened to be four years and then it also yesterday was happened to be the day that MLB moved uh, Jackie Robinson Day, because usually that's April. Um, And so it almost made it feel that much more, not important, but just bigger. Like, it just felt like something came together in, like, the universe and just made it, like, a perfect time for it to happen. Like, it just, like, something about it just felt very, like, big and, like, tangible. Yeah, so I think there's a lot with that. And then, of course, we get the NHL. And I think everyone knows they finished dead-ass last in this. And it's not the players. This is not any kind of reflection on the players because they're the ones who salvaged this at all. Yeah. Uh, So when everyone was canceling things on Thursday, the NHL is like, we'll hold like a five-second moment of reflection or something lame. It was so pathetic. It was supposed to be a moment, and they did it for like five seconds. It was pathetic. Which I was – uh, Sean Shapiro said that they didn't even do it for the Stars game. Like, it didn't even happen. But also, okay, what does it matter when you're in a bubble? And, like, you're not even impacting the people in the crowd. Because when you do that in a game where there's people, okay, well, then those people in the stands, like, there's that moment and they do this. But if, if you do it and it's like, well, the people on TV, okay, well, they can just go, like, peace out. Like, some people do that for the National Anthem anyways. It's yeah. like, well, I don't care. I'll just go get my food and whatever I need to do before the game. Yeah. So it's like you're not even. Because half the time when uh, it says whatever game time, I'm like, okay, well, I'll turn my TV on like 10 minutes after that because that's when it's really going to start. Like, okay, if they, wanted to, if they wanted to play the game, which I think a strike or something was the right move, but if they wanted to play the game, but then it's like, okay, contact the Hockey Diversity Alliance and like have – uh, a whole segment with them mm-hmm. and then have every outro and intro from commercial feature some something from them or some yeah. and like have a whole content around it well then I can say that they did something right. this five seconds that doesn't qualify nope you didn't no. do anything you don't you don't get to say you did something that's nothing and yeah it's like it's so stupid but then of course the players all met and the players really came through and stepped up. And I have to give a special shout out in a similar way, Clayton Kershaw. Ryan Reeves called out Kevin Shattenkirk, which I thought was interesting because Kevin Shattenkirk, who plays for the Lightning now, now used to play for the Blues. And Ryan Reeves played for the Blues a long time. So they were teammates for a long time. And Ryan Reeves was like, well, should we boycott? Should we not? Like, should I ask people to do this? Like kind of debating back and forth. And it was Kevin Shattenkirk who said like, listen, I like other leagues are doing this and it it seems like it's a really powerful thing. And if it's something that you think would be powerful for hockey, we should do this. Like, let me know and I'll back you. And I thought that that was powerful because they're not teammates anymore. And he's uh, a very veteran white male. And so I, I, I just loved seeing that unity and like all of the players supporting the decision. And And they're not in the same bubble. Yeah. And, there was a lot of 
friction. I know that one, the one place where it caught, there was trouble in the NHL or in the NBA was then after the fact of what they do from then on. And there right. was a lot of, a lot of discord, a lot of disagreement, which I thought was actually healthy. And I thought the yeah. NBA did the right thing of like, okay, it was getting heated. Let's everyone go to bed and we'll meet tomorrow and we'll decide. And it yeah. seemed like they, they came up with a decision and that's fine. But what I liked about the NHL is there wasn't that. Like all of the players were like, okay. And part of it is because we have so few black people. So it's like, okay, what do you want to do? And, but it, I mean, right. that's a good reflection that it's like, mm-hmm. hey, we, we're going to listen to you guys because you guys know. And so like the uh, Matt Dumba and Evander Kane, Matt, Matt, both of whom are out of the bubble now because Minnesota lost, um, spoke to both conferences like within an hour of each other. And I thought that mm-hmm. was really good. So it just, the players had their shit figured out. It's just, it's like we say, best sport, worst league. That's like the NHL thing. Yeah, and I thought we were truly. getting rid of that. I thought we were getting rid of that because Rob Manford was really, yeah, really and helping us. tried to take it. He was really helping us with the Astros and everything. So good. But, of course. So, not that, I'm trying to play devil's advocate or anything. It's just some, a question that popped in my head. Do you think, again, not excusing that they didn't strike day one, but do you think maybe they continue to play those games also because a game had already been played, a hockey game? I think it was the Islanders that had already played that yeah. day. I mean, that's something. The thing I think more than anything is it's not that they didn't strike. Because I, I don't like those forms of protest where once one person does it, it's like everyone has to do it. Right, because then it's more performative and like, well, I guess we have to do it now. It's not that you truly believe in what you're doing. But like the thing I talked about, about working it into content and like programming <laughs> and educational programming and making that part of your game. It was like they said we had to do something and then thought the five seconds was qualified as something. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, that, that's what bothers me. It's not that they didn't strike. It's that they didn't do anything. I'm not giving them any credit at all for the fact. If anything, it's worse because they knew it was not ignorance. It was like they intentionally did nothing. Right. So another question I thought of because I thought it was a very stark contrast. Uh, The West, their press conference had, they kept saying 100 players. That had to have been way over because I – I almost feel like it was every player and every team. Obviously, I, I can't identify. Look, I zoomed in for every star to try and find them, and half of them I can't recognize when half their face is covered anyway. So, But it felt like a good amount from each team – well, a good amount would be everyone. But it felt like – because, again, there aren't still aren't many photos where it's the full view of who was there because there were people that still got in the room but then were in the hallway like you couldn't see them. But I felt like there was such a stark contrast between the West and the East because the East just had the captains, I believe, from each team. And it kind of felt weird. Yeah, and a couple of things I'll say is I think the West has consistently been leading anyways. Mm -hmm. The Dallas-Vegas game had the only kneeling we've seen at all Mm -hmm. and all of that. But I also think if look at the makeup of the West – yeah. That's what Ryan I was wondering. Things. Like, it does matter. And I think, obviously, that's not an excuse because I think they could have been more from the East. But I think you're seeing the, the West kind of be the leaders on this. Right. Because that Hockey Diversity Alliance had two of their members are, are in that West bubble. And so I think that it definitely has influenced things. And I don't know, because I think... I think it would have been powerful in the East if it had done. I think because, I, to my knowledge, there aren't any black players in the East. I was looking I, it up, and I don't see anyone. Yeah, I wasn't. I couldn't name one off the top. And I didn't if, think there was. And for sure, none of them in the press conference because it was the captains who all yeah. were white. And so the thing about that to me is – I think it does more when it's like, okay, well, obviously Ryan Reeves and Nazem Kadri, they're going to say stuff because they're the press conference and all of that. But they didn't just like throw them out there. It's like, well, you're the, because Steve Jangles talked about this. Someone in 
who at Sportsnet was like, you know, when stuff like this happens, it, it kind of bothers me because it's like, I know I'm going to get a call and ask to be on air. And it's like, I have to say something because I'm black. Right. Like when something happens, like they don't say, okay, Jamie Ben as a white person, blah, blah, blah. Like, like Tyler, even he chose to speak up. It's mm-hmm. not like he was asked directly, whereas like black people, it always will. So I thought yeah. like having the white players say, okay, like this is something that like you're basically kind of quasi forced into do nothing they don't want to I'm sure they do but so like we can stand in solidarity and be there for you and like support you mm-hmm. whereas I think for the captains of the east that's maybe a little less necessary that yeah. said it was definitely more powerful on the west and also yeah. if this doesn't show how the lack of diversity in the NHL like yeah so that's just I, I have conflicting thoughts about it all yeah but I it's it's hard to be too upset about at the players for anything because you can tell they really thought about it and really tried and so anything that maybe they needed to do differently and that's certainly not for me to say it wouldn't be from a place of malice it wouldn't be a place from a tent it wouldn't be from a place of like intentionally not doing anything whereas the league like they intentionally didn't do anything or like in the MLB's case with what it sounds like Rob Manfred said about wanting the Mets to play after an hour of boycott or strike. Like, I don't even know what you call it if it's an hour. Um, a break? Like, yeah. a lunch break? <laughs> an hour hangout sesh? <laughs> like, whatever. Like, he he's basically saying, hey, the game's more important. And so I, oh, think, yeah. I think that's different than, like, if, like, questions about how different – teams or like the NBA and should we just completely cancel the playoffs or how long should mm-hmm. we stop it's like okay they're trying to figure out what makes sense for everyone involved for the country for themselves for all of that but it's coming from a place of wanting to do the right thing right and I think that's what really separates it so with that um unlike a great fires reporter who just said the dumbest oh, thing ever that should be that should have been our rant but the dumbest question he was basically like forget about black people what about hockey i'm not going to do that to transition i'm going to do what i said he should have said and said there is no great way to transition but we have to because we have a show to get through so i'm going to transition and sorry there's just no way, good way to do it there, there isn't and acknowledging that is probably the best transition you can do so no good way to transition the Mets. <laughs> we, they, it sounds like they may soon be rid of their owners who I know most Mets fans are not fans of. Um, their owners, I know a lot about this. Their owners were part, like lost a ton of money from Bernie Madoff. So like, eh, it's, they're just, yeah. So <laughs> the owners, uh, well, for there were several people interested in buying and going to submit proposals and all that. And there was this big group that included, they called it the J-Rod group because it was J-Lo and A-Rod. And there was like some other owners who owned some like the Philly, not Phillies, the 76ers maybe. And like, it was a whole big conglomerate of people. And they, from the statement J-Lo released, it seemed like they were told they're no longer in the running. She kind of tried to make it worded worded differently, but it's like if you pulled your, pulled yourself out of the running, why would you be disappointed? Like, right? It kind of seemed like they got pulled; they were out. And at the same time, sources, MLB reporters started saying that Steve Cohen, who is I believe thirteen or fourteen billion dollar net worth, um, is is entered an exclusive negotiation period, and they expect him. They expect a deal to be signed in days. So it sounds like Steve Cohen is going to own the Mets and he will be one of, I think, believe the richest owner if this does actually go through. You always have to say if this does because it's the Mets. <laughs> and until that, like, it's, it's on, it's signed, like, it's not done. So, and because the Mets have, like, a way of having things go wrong. So, yeah. And it also kind of sounded like MLB didn't really want A Rod to be any kind of owner they because they don't really seem to love Jeter as an owner in the Marlins which I get um 
So and it kind of just seemed like it was never going to happen anyway. I kind of get it too because so Gina was an owner and everyone knew the team had to sell off because they couldn't afford all the, the money they had to pay. So everyone knew that. That said, like you look at who Christian Yelich was traded for and it's like, eh. I mean, some of them still have to develop and stuff like that, but Christian Yelich is his freaking MVP. And so you look at what they have to show for all the people they traded and you're like, uh, and, but then you start going, well, he traded Stanton to the Yankees. Was he trying to help the Yankees? And it's just always those questions. <laughs> yeah. Whereas if it's like Steve Cohen, it's like, well, I think we can be fairly certain that anything he does, it, it could be stupid, but it's from a place of trying to win. The thing yeah. I'll say about Steve Cohen, very ruthless person. Um, he's like an investment guy and he owns the largest fine in SBC history and I believe can't trade, can't like, uh, like trade other people's assets currently because of an SEC ban for maybe a couple more years. So he is, and I learned about this. I've been on a kick of reading books about like corporate malfeasance and like frauds and stuff like that. So I learned recently from a book I read, Billion Dollar Whale, great book if you want to read it, but, um, that art and diamonds are two of the best ways to launder money easily. Heard that. I don't know why I've heard that. But he owns a ton of art. He paid like $100 million for this. Uh, I'll show you it when the thing is done. It's a tin statue of this tiny, thin little man. It's so ugly. He owns a shark in formaldehyde. Like he owns all of this, like such an ex a collection of art because then you can take it between, so you can buy the art and when you buy it, art houses aren't required to check into where the money came from. Uh -huh. So you can transfer it from your Cayman Islands fund, buy the art, and they're not required to like check where's banks. If you try to just transfer it into a bank, they would be. And so it's like, oh, they get the money and then the art, and then you can take it wherever you want. And no matter how strict the laws are, the art is legit and you can sell it for clean money. Yeah. And, and so, art's like always like a thing people are interested in it's not like a fad thing that if people are like well it had interest two years ago but it's not gonna have any interest now I'm gonna take a tangent because this is I found this fascinating okay go for it it's it's like what I learned from this book so Switzerland used to be really be known as like money launderers paradise because the banks you could bank there and they didn't care well, they're all surrounded. They're surrounded by EU countries. They are not in the EU. What the EU said is if you don't start cracking down on your money laundering laws, we'll close all the borders. And they rely on that for a lot of their tourism, a lot of things. And so then they're like, okay. And so it stopped being so friendly to money launderers, except they have this storage shed, which apparently are like a known thing that they're not the only ones who have this, where it's like high tech really super secure nothing gets stolen from there and so people can like billionaires and drug dealers and whoever can stash their diamonds their artwork whatever in there and it's super secure and they don't ask questions about what it is and so in this book I read it said that this one place where this fraudster in the book I'm reading about uh the the whole facility which stores more than his it stores a bunch of super rich people's stuff has more valuable collection of art than the louvre oh my god isn't that insane That's sorry crazy. so this is like nothing to do with sports but i found it insane but okay now I've, i it clicked after you started saying like why do i know so much about money laundering like why is that like facts that i have and at first i was like well i listen to a lot of true crime podcasts so maybe it can't there but um on YouTube, I, Vanity Fair and another another magazine on YouTube do like um, where it's like experts talking about things that have happened in movies. Like, I know they've done like an ex like an ex con artist or like an ex yeah an ex con artist like went through a few movies and was like this is accurate this isn't and so in one of those type videos they had a um, she's a professor that does like like her whole thing she teaches about is money laundering, which is a mm -hmm. wild thing to be like, think about like there's classes that teaches you about money laundering. And in that video, she talked about art. So now it like it suddenly clicked and it was just, it's a fascinating video because she, I, she's saying a lot of the same things you just did. 
So the, it is Billion Dollar Whale. You all should, if you have time to read, I definitely recommend it. I got it from the library, and so I'm guessing a lot of libraries would have it. Um, but it's about this guy named Joe Lowe, who covered $700 million from like a public fund in Malaysia. And that money, and some other money that he like conned as part of that fund, uh -huh. is what funded the Wolf of Wall Street movie interesting and he also he so and like future profits go to repay that and like a judgment mm -hmm. against him but then um he got gifts for leo because he was friends with leonardo dicaprio and he dated miranda kerr right before he got caught and so she, she had a bunch of gifts that she turned over so that they could like collect on his but he had help from the Prime Minister of Malaysia. And so it's a whole thing. And actually, if you've listened to, because Leo won a Golden Globe for that performance. If you listen to his acceptance speech, he says, and like, thank you, this guy, this guy, and Joe. And it, two of the guys, Joe, and then I think it might be Riza or something, they're two, like two of the, the parties of this big fraud. And Joe Lowe is like the main mastermind. That is fascinating so definitely I think this has like been my favorite part of the life section of our podcast I, I I have I've been on a reading kick lately I've read a ton so you might get a bunch of worthless facts but I'm I find it completely fascinating <laughs> so there you go that's your your money laundering and also evidence that Steve Cohen probably does in fact launder money but all of that said it doesn't make him bad as far as like for the Mets for succeeding because he has money and it seems like he's smarter than their current owners. Yeah. So, and then of course, immediately. So before it was announced, they had won their day game of a doubleheader against the Yankees. And then right after it was announced, they had a walk-off win of their night game against the Yankees. So they swept. And then the second one was a walk-off. And like I saw some Mets fans on Twitter be like, it never happens this fast where it was like, the, our tides have changed. And now I got to check and see if they even. They lost today. They lost today, but it was close. Yeah, two eh? to one. That's not bad. And after getting swept, I mean, you're the Yankees. Pack it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyways, I think we'll go back to, I have a note about the MLB trade deadline. And I'm just turning that over to Morgan because that's your area. <laughs> um, so the trade deadline is, well, as this comes out on Monday it is today uh right yeah August 31st and usually in a normal season it'd be July 31st if this was two years ago technically this would have been like the second trade deadline um but now they have a one trade deadline thing um it's kind of weird this deadline and obviously it's because it's a much shorter season so literally this trade deadline's like a month and a half after the season starts I almost feel like I have no idea what to expect from any team like there haven't really been as many rumors or like interest like today there was a lot of talk of like a lot of teams interested in Lance Lynn and like I feel like we're two days out from the deadline as this is being recorded but we're getting like the rumors you would normally get like maybe a week or two weeks before the deadline so it feels really weird like we've had a couple trades but none like oh my gosh I can't believe this team got from this team or this team selling or da 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 like the one that comes off the top of my head is uh the angels traded la stella to oakland which i'm like okay sure <laughs> i guess i'm pretty i think he's a second baseman he i think he's the second baseman he used to pay play for the cubs that's why i know this okay but he was like not an everyday player yeah and he was he had a really good season last season until he, his knee, something happened to his knee. It's during a Ranger game, and I can't remember if he got hit by a pitch and it, like, shattered his knee or whatever, or he pulled a ligament, which I hate that word so much. Um, but something happened, like, during a Rangers game, and he was injured and out for the rest of the year, and he was having, like, a really good season. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it is, it is like, the, the weirdest trade deadline, which, obviously, because it's the weirdest season. Yeah, and there's just, so many factors because, like, yeah. profits, but then also, like, the expanded playoffs and, like, just so many things that you think could make you want to buy but then want to sell, but then it's just, like... Right, and because of the expanded playoffs, it's kind of, I feel like more teams are in that of 
do we just stay as we are and maybe if we make it to the playoffs as we are, that's fine. If we don't, that's fine too. And I, it's the trade deadline's a month later. So I also get the fact of like, well, even with the expanded playoffs, do we want to trade for someone whose contract ends at the end of the season anyway? Like we get a month less than we normally would. Is it worth it? Yeah. And I I think that's the bigger question than normal. Is the trade worth it? Should we trade? Like, obviously those questions come up in any other normal season, but it just feels like that's going to be an even bigger factor and that we might not have a big blowout trade like like last year when Grinky was traded and freaking it was announced like 10 minutes after the deadline. I was like, oh, everything's good. I didn't have any bad trades and I'm okay with how everything happened. And the next thing I know, the freaking Astros get my favorite player, um, which could happen this year too. I just feel like this is the, mo- the, the least I've ever known about who's going who's gonna to be traded, who could potentially be traded, and to where which I don't really know a lot about trade deadlines much either because I don't really follow prospects from the Rangers, let alone anywhere else. So I'm not really good at valuing trades to begin with. But, like, at this point, I'm kind of like, I don't even know where teams are or how they're feeling as far as it goes because usually by now we have, like, 80, 90. I can't even remember how many games we would be to by the time July rolled around, but over 80. We'd be over halfway through the season. And so now it's kind of like we're just 30 games in and it feels like that's where we would be after April. And who wants to make a trade after April? Because April's like the month where it's like anything could still happen. And I think the expanded playoffs play into that. Because yeah. like there are very few teams that are out. And you should think like if you're in that range where you're only making it because of the expanded playoffs, you should probably just sell because you probably don't have much of a chance anyways. Yeah. Or at least stay put. Just don't yeah. don't try and make a huge move. But like it can be really tempting for owners and yeah. general managers and stuff. And so I think it's like there's so many different like mixed signals and like you don't want to, because even if you sign for someone and, like you said, you aren't going to get a ton of time because they're expiring or whatever, but you think, like, you, you're signing them or you're trading for them because you want to sign them, well, do you even know if you're going to have the money to sign, like, some really good player? And there's right. all these things. It's, it's, it's perplexing, and that's why MLB is in a unique spot because hockey and base, um, ba- basketball, like, that was all over. Regular season was yeah. over. Trade deadline had already passed in the NHL, which ended up being a good thing because if we ended the season like two days before the trade deadline, we'd be like, wait, what do we do? But so it kind of all was done. Now, some of those trades ended up being like, well, if we didn't know, we wouldn't have traded it for like two weeks and then like three playoff games or something, or maybe we would have traded more. It's like, so, but that obviously you can't control, I think. Yeah. But I think it, it like it was better for NBA and, ho- and hockey than it was for baseball. Yeah, and like with Oakland getting Lestella, like I know um, his contract ends this year, which also to me I'm like, I just watched Oakland play and there wasn't anything in me that was like, oh, they need a new second baseman. Like Oakland's second in the league, first in the AL. So that trade doesn't really make sense to me. I'm not obviously not Oakland, so what do I know? Maybe they know something I don't, but I feel like more of those trades might be made where it's like, I don't really think you had to make that trade, but I guess if you want to go for it, you didn't lose much. I have a, there, I don't know what to call it, but there's like a syndrome. I've seen this in in hockey and in other sports. Do you know the thing of like, like you go to one of those like sip and paint things or whatever and you actually don't like suck at it or whatever or mm-hmm. whatever like you're you're fine but because you spent like an hour on it you see like oh there's it's a little smudged there and it's not mm-hmm. perfect there and then someone else was nice like oh it looks perfect mm-hmm. I think sometimes like really good teams their GM starts doing that oh there's a little smudge there and, and like they find problems yeah. that don't actually exist yeah and I think you see that every year, the closer you get to the deadline. Because they're just trying to, they're like, I think we should sell. 
yeah. I think we can do this, make that a little better. But then it's like team chemistry is really a thing. Yes. So like if it's mostly, if it's like nearly perfect and you're like, if we just get a little better, stop, don't do it. <laughs> exactly. It is kind of like a painting where you're also like, maybe if I just add one, and it's like, no, just leave it alone. Because you do that Step and then the back. Whole, it messes up everything and then you're like, crap, the whole painting is ruined. Yeah. I love how we keep going back to paintings. That should have just been like our theme. <laughs> That's apparently the theme of the episode, but that's okay. Um, next, because we were talking about trades, I had to yes. talk about, because my hockey team made a trade. And, okay, <laughs> first of all, the way yeah. this happened. So it leaks that Kasperi Kapanen is headed to the Pittsburgh Penguins. And here I am like, oh, that sounds awesome. Like, he's really fast. We originally drafted him. We traded him for Phil Kessel, which was a great trade. No no qualms with that but like he fits with what would be good for the penguins so i'm excited for like 30 minutes and leafs fans are freaking out because somebody like joked but people took him serious that it was for jack johnson now if that had happened i would have like crowned rutherford king <laughs> <laughs> but of course that didn't happen because the leafs aren't complete idiots yeah but apparently my gm is like lost it because we got captain in Jesper Lindgren, who is, like, probably never going to play in the NHL, and Pontus Aberg, who signed for the KHL for next season and is in Russia right now. So, like, pretty sure he's not going to be a contributor. And we gave them Darren Worsofsky, which that's just to throw in because we needed the contract to, match, like, match up. That's whatever. Don't care about that. Evan Rodriguez, I was actually good with that because he was a restricted free agent. He was scratched all the playoffs, and he made, like, $2 million this year, so we were going to have to pay him, and clearly he didn't have a spot on this team, and the Leafs like him, so, eh, fine, whatever. But then we gave him our second or third best prospect, which, okay, fair, fair point, the Penguins don't have the best prospect pool, but he's, like, by all accounts, a really good player, Philip Lander, and then we gave him them our first round pick the 15th overall pick and a like people keep saying this is one of the deepest drafts ever what a first round pick and philip polander i mean that is it's so idiotic and like they're trying to come back with well kapanen was a first round pick he was a first round pick like five or six spots later in a draft that wasn't as deep and it's just oh it's like they shouldn't, the first round pick should have been off the table because we never have first round picks. Mm -hmm. Like we had one in a good draft. Keep it. Like, <laughs> unless we are getting the most amazing player ever. Keep it. So like, no, that should have been off the table. Philip Hollander, like I could have gotten, I could have accepted it. Like, it. It would be one of those trades where you didn't walk away happy, but like content. And that's like when you know it's a fair trade. Is when both sides are a little like, eh, I didn't love that we had to give up blah. And like, I think yeah. the Leafs fans would have been like, well, I didn't love that we had to give up Kapanen, but Philip Hollander is supposed to be really good and this helps out our cap situation a ton. Fine. But like, this makes no sense. And I don't know what it does because, so, Crosby Malkin. First, the, those are your two centers, obviously. Your top wingers. Gensel has been, like, stapled to Crosby and has been amazing with Crosby. So he's up there. Zucker was basically acquired, and he has a long-term contract, but he was acquired to fill in on the, like, Crosby line when Gensel was out. But he's on a long-term contract and is a first- or second-line winger. So we have two wingers there. Then we have Rust, who, again, is amazing, has, is, like, our leading goal scorer this season. So you have it three wingers right there. You're going to stick Kapanen in there. You, you would almost have to displace someone. And he has proven, like, I was listening to Steve talk about this. He's played with Matthews. He's played with Tavares. He didn't do well in those spots. His best role was as a third-line winger. You don't give up first-round picks for third-line wingers. You just don't. So, like, I hate this. Sorry, I had to I had to get that all out because I'm upset. Oh, it's fine. I just remember as soon as I saw it, I sent it to you and I was like, so how are we feeling about this? Terrible. <laughs> but it was just like, there was like a good, uh, um, I, I was mad at reporters at the time, but I should have been glad when they said, Captain into the Penguins and didn't give us anything else. We had like 30 minutes 
where huh. it was like anticipation and the thought of what it could be was actually better than what it was. So, <laughs> hey, I could be in this same position on Monday because I feel like the Rangers are going to sell and it's probably going to be someone I don't want them to give up and I'm probably going to be really upset about it. And yeah, it's like I have no problem. I'm like, he's a prospect. I'm not attached to right. him and stuff. But what I am, like, kind of adamant about is making, like, not getting ripped off. Yeah. And this is definitely a ripoff. And also, we've had two first-round picks, Kapanen and the guy we got last year, in, like, 10 years or something. It's insane. We never have first-round picks because we give them up, which makes sense because we're going for it now. This is our window. But give them up for something that matters. We gave up a first round pick for Jason Zucker. That's a good, like he's a, I didn't quibble about that at all. He's a good player. Kapanen is fine, but he's a career third line player. Let's not give up first round picks for that. So, and Jim Rutherford, this is not the first dumb thing he's done. (laughs) And so like everyone is really hot about the whole Jack Johnson is terrible and he's still on this team and still plays meaningful minutes. And it's just really frustrating. So, yes, my team is, is really making it hard right now. So, but anyways, trying to go to not one of our teams. Uh, we are recording this on Saturday and it's, we're in between games because the Bruins and Lightning just got over a little while ago. The Lightning now have a 3-1 series lead and they won today 3-1. Not really a lot to talk about except – um, Nick Ritchie had a very obvious boarding call where mm-hmm. like guy went head first. Who was it? It was Palat, was it? No. Yanni Gord. It was Yanni Gord. Went head first into the like boards and he ended up being fine. But that's kind of beside the point. You did a play which reasonably could result in a bad outcome. This we had this discussion, not on the show, but like this discussion happened in hockey mm-hmm. when um Zach Cassian he was in like a scrum on the ice and he used his blade to like kick off the guy's chest Yes, and he got like a six game suspension for that the guy had no injury at all and barely noticed it because you are putting a knife on a person's chest just because they didn't get hurt doesn't mean that them getting hurt wasn't a completely logical outcome of that Mm -hmm. you do something dangerous it kind of like of course the result matters and like people are always biased by that but there's also like could you, like, you you reasonably did something that was dangerous? Yeah. Okay, it would be like parents. Do they only punish kids if they cross the street and get hit by a car? No. Like, they're going to do that if nothing happens. And the kids say, well, it was fine. No, because it's dangerous. And so it's, that's, it, it, and the coach is like, oh, the guy acted and all of this stuff. It's like, no, look at the play. The puck was nowhere near gourd the guy had plenty of time watch it in full speed um richie had plenty of time to stop and avoid the hit or make it less and he didn't that's on him and it was one of those plays that like i physically cringed when it happened yeah and and also did the coach's comments not sound very similar to milbury's comment of the oh it'd be good for him to just take to to get the whistle or get the penalty or whatever it was that he said. Yeah. It's so stupid. And, but that one, the guy actually was hurt, but it's like this to me, it's, I don't think he was when he was blindsided. Yeah. It's like, I don't think he would, he had enough time to act. Um, But then the other thing that kind of made me like, we're definitely not wrong. Bruins fans who on Twitter can sometimes be a lot. For the most part, we're like, yeah, it was a dumb hit. And furthermore, they're not super happy with Nick Ritchie. He apparently hasn't really done anything of note except for negative value of series. So it's like, okay, one, bad hit, dirty hit, he should be suspended. Two, our team probably gets better if he's suspended. And so I saw Pete Blackburn, who's really funny on Twitter. Um, He retweeted the comments from Cassidy, and he said, I'm really starting to think Nick Ritchie has blackmail material. Basically, like, why is he in the game? Yeah. Well, that was a question to the beginning, but then also, like, why are we defending him from a blatantly dirty hit? Maybe just don't say anything. 
Or if, if you get asked about it, which I'm sure all coaches do say, you know, I like, I, I didn't have the best angle from the bench, which is very valid because they were in like mm-hmm. a corner. It's like, I'm going to look at the hit. I know Nick like never intentionally did something like that, but I trust the officials. They did their review because they review all my majors. We'll look at it and discuss it after the fact internally. Something. You can just say nothing. Yeah. You don't have to like stand up when it's like you, there's nothing to stand up for. That was bad. So that's we'll see more to come on that. I guess we will yeah. see what what happens if there's any supplemental discipline. It could be like completely or, or not much meaning because if he got even if he got more than one game, it's possible he would only have to serve one game of that. So, anyways, um, Brant and Brave time. So, would you like to go first, or do you want me to go first? Um, I have a rant, so okay. I can go first this time. Sounds good. Um, it's kind of a long rant, but um, so yesterday, Robert Tiffin, who writes for the Stars, uh, SB Nation blog, which is a really good SB Nation blog. They have really good writers. Um, I'm, yeah. I was going to say, I think he writes for, yeah, it's in his bio. He writes there. He tweeted, a source told me that some big clients canceled their accounts after Sagan and Dickinson took a knee during the anthem. Given the climate, I'd expect the team to be extremely careful not to risk losing more business by saying more than they think they absolutely have to. Also, I should say he, he clarified in his second tweet that by expect, he wasn't saying that's what he thinks they should do. It's just what he expects the stars to do, which that's what I got from his tweet. I didn't think he was agreeing with that, but I thought I should clarify since he did as well. Um, I responded to that and I was like, well, if I'm PR for the stars, I leak those, those clients' names to like Sean Shapiro and you flip the story and it's not, it's no longer about the stars losing clients, about those stupid clients who were like, oh, you're doing social justice. Let's leave you guys. And so you like flip the story, it's no longer about you. And so then it kind of led to like a lot of Stars fans kind of trying to figure out who it was. And um, someone in the Stars uh, fandom who I also know in real life, uh, Haley, NHL Hales is her uh, at. She was like, if anyone's curious who at least one of these big clients is based on PM Stanley's likes on Twitter, it sure seems like they're one. And she went and looked at um, his likes and a lot of them were like, the stick to sports-esque likes and um there were a lot of them and he had a reply uh not trying to cover my ass but I had he essentially blamed it on he had had a drink and a couple drinks so he was liking things essentially without reading them and I have multiple issues with that first of all (laughs) you're gonna say you just went on a liking spree because you had a few too many drinks and you weren't really reading what you were saying your tweets are most likely going to be a little more varied than all of this stick to sports one after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other. They're not, they're they're going to be like the most random of tweets because you're just going down your timeline, liking things. Um, So he spent a lot of time, like instead of just shutting up and not saying anything more, he, he spent a lot of time trying to defend himself. Um, At one point he, he, and he never outright said, like, no, I support that, or, like, no, it's fine if they do that. It was just more like, oh, I accidentally liked those tweets kind of a thing, and I did, I scrolled back to, like, 2017, and he went and unliked all of them that, uh, that had anything to do with that, and I was like, okay, if you're gonna take the time to do that, why not take the time to be like, no, I wasn't one of those clients that dropped them, and then someone asked him if he was going to uh, remove his season tickets. He, because he usually sits like right behind the goalie. It's where I usually see him sitting. Um, and he said, "Not yet." So I'm sure that's coming. Um, I just tried to look him up, and it's not coming up. So I thought he deleted his account. I, I found him, but he definitely deleted the replies where he defended himself. Ah, that's what it is. Because I like went to him, and I'm like, I can't find, can't find any of this. So, interesting. So, not only did he go in and unlike all the ones that were screenshotted and problematic, 
he deleted all his replies that were also problematic. But here's a game. We're going to play a game. Guess the author of the tweet he liked. And that tweet uh, was posted 58 minutes ago. So post-scandal. Oh, God. Oh, God. I will give you a clue. It's a news person. This person appears on the news channel. A Fox News channel? Is it the one dude that's, like, in trouble for... No. I, or maybe, okay. I don't know. Sean Hannity. Jesus Christ. <laughs> of course. Because we definitely learned our lesson that no one's looking at likes. Or maybe they are. Also, I... Oh, well, if you look at his profile, it's really not that surprising. And, yeah, he liked Donald Trump Jr., Oh, but his profile says, stand tall for my national anthem, hashtag MAGA. And I didn't think it had that hashtag yesterday when I looked at it. So, clearly learned his lesson. Oh, yeah. But, you know what? Good riddance. Everyone now knows, and... Yeah. So, my rant is a little long, too. Um, <laughs> not Not near as... Um impactful as the Houston Astros scandal. The Arizona Coyotes were caught cheating. It was very different in nature. Basically, they were caught testing prospects outside of the NHL's like combine testing, which is very clearly against the rules. For one, if you get a result that's different than the combine testing, then you know something other teams don't. And for two, it's like, why are we putting prospects through all of this testing? Because that's not fair to them. It's a lot of work. So but I thought this was interesting because um, they, like, you, you think about, okay, what do they have to forfeit? What's, what's their punishment? And I was kind of expecting, like, something, but just more of a, like, hey, like, a sign to everyone, don't do this. Like, you're not going to get away with this. Just, but not, like, a huge message. Not, like, we're going to, like, completely screw you over or anything. They lost their first round pick next year, I think. And their second round pick this year, it was either that or they lost their first round pick this year and their second round pick next year. And so basically they have like no picks this year. I think, I think it was their second round pick this year and they gave up their first round pick in the Taylor Hall trade. I think their first pick is like in the fourth round. And I thought it was really great because <laughs> you can tell, I don't know if Gary Benton was, was thinking about this, but he's like, we're not going to be the freaking MLB. I'm not going to be the next Rob Manfred. But also, okay, my rant here is what the hell, Arizona Coyotes? What was the point of that? Like testing, doing like combine testing ahead of time? Like what did that get you? Yeah. Like, and you kind of want to like, I'm glad the NHL did this because now it's like, okay, was it worth that? Was it worth two really good players or potentially really good players for what? Did it really change your decision at all? They've never had good draft records. Maybe they thought this was the key and they were like getting bad information, but it's just like, come on. So that's my rant. <laughs> rave. Do you have a rave? Yes. Um, I will also say that on my rant, he did not have hashtag MAGA in his profile yesterday. That is a new addition recently because I took a screenshot yesterday and it wasn't there. Um, so just to really confirm where he's at. So my rave has nothing to do with sports. And I've already raved about it on like every social media, but I'm just that excited about it. And that is Starbucks fall drinks. And I was never like a pumpkin spice latte person. Just that wasn't my thing. Didn't love it so much. However, last year they debuted the pumpkin cream cold brew. And let me tell you. That coming back this year is like the highlight of my year. <laughs> I am obsessed with it. I will probably have one like every day for the next three months just because after three months it'll be gone. So I got to like really take advantage of it. And like I said, I didn't like the pumpkin spice lattes. So if you're not a fan of those, but you love like cold brew with like, it's strong, but also like there's, there's cream. So it's not like straight black coffee but there's not too much cream there's not too much pumpkin spice it's like 
perfectly fall in a cup and since it's still technically not fall and it's like 112 degrees outside it's iced so that makes it even better and we even hung up fall decorations today because what does it even matter we're in a pandemic why not put up decorations right now? don't exist in a pandemic besides the weather they really don't <laughs> exactly so I'm just I'm in a fall mood fall is when I just thrive so I'm just really happy about that um so my rave it's not a rave in the traditional sense and that I'm not happy this happened but I think <laughs> I have to pay I have to make that very clear and you're gonna know why Chadwick Boseman like I'm clearly not happy he died right but I think everything that happened like for instance so the thing that I wrote down how he played Jackie Robinson and he passed away on the day that they're doing the Jackie Robinson day and that wouldn't have happened but for this pandemic but still it's like it's just so like the universe and everything yeah and it just it's so fitting and I thought obviously Black Panther was a very culturally significant movie and there was a lot mm-hmm. of of memorializing his role in that which I'm really happy about but mm-hmm. I think there was more memorializing him as Jackie Robinson than there would have otherwise been if it wasn't on Jackie Robinson day right and I really liked that because it's like celebrating another big achievement for black people and and all of that and so it just I, I loved that and then finding out like he's basically a real life superhero because he was mm-hmm. fighting cancer and doing like these really labor intensive movies. That's just- what surprised me. Like, like I'm in awe of like the utter strength that has to take. It's it's just so amazing, and so I think, and you know, there's a lot, and I think it's very justified. A lot of complaining about Twitter, a lot of stuff like that. But I thought like in moments like this is where you really see the power of Twitter because Mm -hmm. the different ways like instantaneous memorializing and then as people encounter ones that are good even maybe from people who don't have huge followings or not well known they retweet them and then so you do get these like really interesting points these things you hadn't heard of and it's just it was so cool to see kind of everyone coming together around the like because I I don't really think anyone wasn't sad really sad that he passed away and so I think that that was really cool yeah I think this was like one of like maybe the first celebrity death that like really like felt like a gut punch for me not to like take away from any of the other ones but this is like I've seen a lot of his movies and so I think even like because I'm a huge Marvel fan so like to know that he I think it's it's definitely three movies, maybe four of those like labor intensive physical movies that he did all of that while battling cancer is just physically and mentally just so like that strength. And I totally get that. It could also be that like, he just wanted to keep doing it because it was something he loved and then he didn't have to think about the cancer. Um, but like, just to also think of like, he did all that work to like share his gift of acting with everyone like it's just heartwarming in a sense but also heartbreaking because it's clear like how big this affects the black community specifically and seeing like the tweets about like it's like losing a family member to a lot of them which is heartbreaking but there is also that sense of at least we can remember him in all of his movies because they are so rewatchable and so like strong. And I actually saw this comment from some black people about how Black Panther was that movie that's like, we can, our kids have superheroes who look like them. But then like I saw like an addendum to that, like now that you know he was like doing those movies, like so sick, it's like, well, it just transitioned even into a real life superhero yeah because that it it is like a maturing thing for kids like you have your superheroes you have your fantasy kind Mm -hmm. of stuff that you love as kids and then there's that like maturing part where you realize that that's not bravery in the true sense and what bravery really is and that's like a Mm -hmm. big part of because you you get that knowledge at least a little bit before you're like fully matured even yeah and so it's like that kind of thing that he did that's like because even even if he wanted, and I'm sure he did want to do it, but there's no doubt that there was suffering involved in that. Yeah. The, the going through that suffering 
for art or even if it's just like he did it because he wanted to do it and stuff just pushing through and that kind of thing is it's really powerful and so I, I thought that was a cool observation yeah and one thing I even learned like what you said from like with the retweets and stuff is I think we've all if not used it seen the gif of like the kids dancing on top of like chairs at school and I never knew where that came from and it's from a video of like they're celebrating that they get to go see Black Panther on a field trip, which is so freaking cool. It, like, makes that gift even better. Yeah, and so it was, it's just, like, like, last night when the, when the announcement came and just seeing, like, all the juice that were treat, tweeted and all the things people were saying and observations, it was, like, it was one of those moments where, because usually whatever's happening on Twitter, you can't scroll through without finding people who are toxic. I'm sure there were people who were toxic, but it was hard to encounter that. There was just so much love and memorializing and stuff. And that just really like, it's kind of, we needed that. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because I I also saw someone tweet that like, it sucks with the pandemic. It takes away like our uh, ability to gather and like kind of mourn together, which is a big thing. And I think, last night it kind of felt like Twitter kind of helped with that whereas like again it's not as good as being able to like hug people when they're mourning but at like there was more of a sense of community that you Mm -hmm. don't always get with Twitter and it like it was really like heartwarming to kind of see everyone talk about it and how it influenced them. Yeah and that's kind of what I meant when I was going in I was like it's not a rave in the traditional sense of clearly the event that sparked this I'm not happy about right but just the reactions and what it caused and the observations it like restored a little bit of hope in humanity yeah yeah and so with that a lot of serious stuff this episode but that's okay that's what we're yeah. here for life it, anything else you want to bring up or I think I think we're good for now maybe we'll get I'm sure we'll have a lot more sports to rant about yeah always (laughs) are so with that we will um see you all next week or maybe for a quick hitter we'll see thank you all have a good week bye guys